Months ago, we started this series in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Ron just read the very end of that sermon at the end of Matthew chapter 7. And if this is your first Sunday joining us, uh, that recapped some of the sermon, right? You can just look at some of those phrases. Those are things Jesus said in Matthew 5 through 7, these truths in this brilliant, extensive teaching by Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, some of you, as you saw some of those phrases, even if you're here and you're not a Christian or you didn't grow up in church, you would say, I recognize that. Like, don't judge others. You recognize some of these phrases. And a lot of us, as we just watched that video, if you've joined us throughout this series, you could repeat some of what we just saw. Right? Some of what we saw, some of what we've heard throughout this series, you could articulate. But the reality is all of us on some level would get a little mixed up. Right? There'd be some things that we would at least uh, get confused, like is it heart leads to treasure, or is it treasure follows the heart? Like which one is it, Jesus? I can't remember. I'd have to go back and look at that, right? Now, if you feel that way trying to repeat something that you've heard, how much more do you feel that way when you try to do something you've heard? Like the other night, I was putting together two chairs from Ikea. I know, pray for me. It was a tough night trials I experienced that night. And, and what I did was I grabbed the booklet that they give you, and I read through it, but I, but I actually I didn't read through it because it's all pictures, right? I, I think that's just more funny that way for us. Like, I, I don't really know why they do that, but I looked through the, the pictures, I thumbed through that, and then I went to the chairs to go build the chairs. What happened? I put the leg in the wrong thing, right? I did what the picture that had the big fat X on it I did what that said to do, right? And so I had to go back to the booklet and think, okay, let me, let me re-look at these pictures. Who designed this? Ikea, Sweden uh, designed this, right? And I have to go back and look at it because it's a lot harder to do something that you hear even more than it is to repeat something that you hear. You think about it on an airplane. All of us have experienced this. What do you do when you're listening to the safety instructions as you get on the plane? Turn the pages of the book that you're reading, right? Thumb down through your phone. And what are you thinking as you hear those, those life-saving instructions? You're thinking, I know. I, I, know. I, think I, would, I think I would step up in the midst of that crisis. I'll be fine, right? But things would get real, real fast if the plane was actually going down and you had to see, where is that life vest? Am I supposed to put it on my kid first, the gas mask, or, the, or, or myself? How does that, why? Why? You would not really be sure exactly what to do because hearing something, repeating something, and then there's actually doing something that you've heard, it's a whole different ball game. Well, as we come to the end of this sermon, Jesus is the best preacher in all of history. He's going to give us a living what we learn at the end of his sermon just like we do in our sermons, and he's going to talk about application. We've just heard this, this big extensive sermon, Matthew 5 through 7, 107 verses, the king describing the kingdom, Christ describing Christianity, what it looks like, how we live in the midst of God's rule and reign on the earth. We've just heard this great sermon. Now what do we do with it? What do we do with what we've heard with our ears? How do we connect that to our heart, and to our hands. And so that's the challenge before us this morning, and it's a difficult challenge. So as we come to this, Jesus is going to help us by describing two people. Look at Matthew 7, 24 
through 29. Ron just read it. We see two people, two builders. The first person is a wise man. He built his house on a rock. The second person is a, a foolish man. He built his house on a sand. And so there's two different foundations, and everybody's building something. And the reality is, if you look really closely at the text, you see a lot more similarities than differences. Right, maybe some of you have heard this passage before, just like you've heard some of the other passages. Oh, this is the, the foundation one, the rock and the sand, because it's so commonly referred even in our culture. People will say things like, don't build your house on a sand. And so maybe you've heard this before, but if you look a little bit closer, there's some similarities here, more than there's differences. If you look at it, both of these people, both these builders, hear Jesus. You see that? Both listen. They hear Jesus. Both are building something, doing that on some kind of foundation, and then both experience storms. Now, personally, I'd love for this to be the difference, right? As I read this and studied this this week, I would have loved for the key distinction between these two people, between these two builders to be, well, the wise one who builds on the rock, he escapes the storm. He lives in sunny Phoenix. I, there's never a storm for the, for the guy who builds his house on the rock. I would have loved for Jesus to have said that, wouldn't you? Let's just be honest. Can we be honest in church? Is that okay? I would have loved for Jesus to say that, but he doesn't. The, the wise man who builds his house on the rock, the foolish man who builds his house on the sand, they have this thing in common. They'll go through storms. No matter if you've been walking with Jesus your whole life, or you just became a Christian, or you're not sure about Jesus yet, you will go through storms. I will go through storms. It happens to us all. From the sin that we do, from the sin that's been done to us, from just the burden of living in a sinful world, we all go through storms. Listen, I don't have to preach this to you any longer. You know this. You know this in your life. You know this in your family's life. You know this in our culture, in our country. Amen? You see storms everywhere you go. Listen, I know this in my life, but also know this just as a pastor. I see storms all the time, every week. There's enough people in this church where someone is going through something, and, and whether it's a, a miscarriage or a hospital bed or a conflict or the loss of a loved one, or a financial struggle, or a struggle with doubt, everyone goes through storms. And, and, and by God's grace, I'm thankful for this, the church is still a place where, where sinners can come to in the midst of their storm, and receive grace and healing and help, where people who are in the midst of their storm can, can come to the church, to a pastor, and not be judged or shunned, but say, no, 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 Jesus came to call not the, not the righteous, but the sinners. Come here. This is exactly where you should be. Jesus came to call not just the, the healthy but the sick. sick. Come, come here. We want to we help you with your storm. And so listen, I, I'm thankful for that. And just, just FYI, just, this is kind of a side note, but you can also call when things are going well in your life. Right? You can also call and just say, hey, pastor, I just want to let you know God is good all the time. All the time God is good. I just want to let you know about some victories in my life. You can do that too, right? We want to hear it all. But the reality is I hear about lots of storms, and so do you. Everyone, everywhere goes through storms, and it's the case for these two people. There's a distinction, but before we get to that, there's some similarities. Do you see that? 
Everyone goes through storms. Here's the difference. It's in the foundation. It's in the foundation. One foundation allows you to endure. The other foundation causes you to collapse. Right? And this is a little bit tricky. If you know anything about foundations, if you've ever tried to buy a house with a faulty foundation, you know this. It's a little tricky because you go to the house And maybe everything looks nice on the outside. And the first impression, everything looks good. But then what happens? You put in the offer, they do the inspection, and it comes back, there's some problems with the foundation. And some of you have been there, done that, right? And you kind of cringe. You're like, ah. I remember my my wife and I first bought uh, our first house in Austin, Texas. And we looked at several houses. and, And we looked at this one that was amazing. I mean, we're just walking through it, and we're just like, could we really live here, our first house, just one kid? Like, could we really have all this space? It was a huge house, a really nice house, and we went away, and we're like, we're going to bid as is, and what the guy is asking price, and we're going to do all that. And we, we heard uh, afterwards that we didn't get it, because this was such a nice big house that several people bid on it, and we didn't get it. Somebody else got it. But then a week later, they said, hey, the inspection happened, and something fell through with the foundation, and, and you guys can have it at your bid if you want it. First-time homebuyers, thinking back to the glory of that house, the chandelier was amazing. I could picture myself in that house. And we're thinking through that, and we're like, ah, it's just a foundation. What's the big deal? And my realtor's like, well, the big deal is between 10000 and $30,000, which, first of all, what kind of range is that, <laughs> right? And my wife and I literally discussed at home, like, could we do that? Like, could we deal with this? Maybe foundations aren't that big a deal. Maybe everybody else is wrong, and we're right, <laughs> right? And so foundations can be tricky, not just with houses, but in life and what Jesus is talking about. You see, we can know a lot of things about God. We can look like Everything on the outside is is great. I can even speak the language in church. But the foundation can be faulty. That if you evaluate a little bit more and you look at the life and see, is this life actually being changed by Jesus? Is it a, a solid foundation built on a rock? Or is it really a faulty foundation built on sand? And so it's tricky. And so Jesus is going to walk us through what this look like, what this looks like. Verse 24, look at that verse with me. Here's the key to the wise foundation that endures. Look at the verse. Verse 24, it says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. Notice it's not just listening to Jesus' words. It's following his instructions. It's obedience. That's the wise foundation that endures. It's like if you built your house on a rock. And some of you would say, well, Tim, that's, that's obvious. People in Jesus' audience probably would have said, Jesus, that's obvious. Like, of course, even in that day, in our day, we know you build your house on a rock. You don't build it on sand or gravel or water or anything else. You build it on a rock. Isn't this obvious, Jesus? And Jesus would say, exactly. Exactly. Isn't this so obvious that you build a house on a rock? It's the right, it's the best, the most logical way to build a house. And Jesus gives us this analogy because this is so obvious. 
listening to Jesus' words with our ears and doing them with our hands. That's the only logical, right, and best way to function. Do you see it? So as his audience would have said, of course, Jesus, of course, the conviction would start to well up. Well, then why don't you do what I say? Because it's just like that. And we would all, ah, yeah, Jesus, good one, Jesus. So this is an obvious thing, and that's the point Jesus is making. And so what does that look like practically? Maybe you think, okay, yeah, I know we're supposed to build our house on the rock. We're supposed to do what Jesus says. So we have the foundation that endures. What does that look like? How does that actually shake out? Think about it. Every time you're obedient to God's word, that you don't just listen, you don't even just trust it in your heart, but you actually do what he says, Every time you do that with money, every time you do that with sex, every time you do that in marriage, every time you do that with friendships, every time you do that with anxiety, some of the things he talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, every time you listen to Jesus' words, you trust them in your heart, you do them with your hands, every time you're laying upon this foundation of rock. That faith-filled obedience breeds faith-filled obedience. You know this in your life. When you go through a season, specifically a struggle, and you actually trust Jesus and obey him, and you get through that, what happens in the next season? What happens in the next struggle? What happens in the next moment? There's a confidence there. You're like, Walking with a little strut. You're like, hey, this is difficult, but I've been there. I've, I've done that. I think about, about, about a guy in our church who's had several bouts with cancer. And I remember just uh, recently going to uh, the hospital. He was in pre-op, about to go through another procedure to find out if he had more cancer and, and just ways to handle it. And I go in pre-op, and the guy is laid out on the bed, in the hospital bed, ready to go into this procedure. But there's laughing. He's mucking it up with the doctor. Now, some of that was the medication, right? But some of that was faith-filled obedience in the midst of a storm, right? And so when the doctor comes in and he's able to have like a, a jovial conversation, as so much is on the line with cancer, and not even just to mention frustration of, I'm in the hospital again. God, what are you doing in the midst of this? But he's able to be jovial. We're all laughing it up as we then pray for him and ask God to move in this situation and teach him. And he's saying amen to that. How does that happen? Do you ever think about that? How does that happen with him? How does that happen with others that you've seen respond this way with faith-filled obedience and action in the midst of storms? How does that happen? Are these people just super Christians? Are they just varsity and we're JV? No. It's because for him and for anybody else that you've seen walk through storms with faith-filled obedience, they've been there, they've done that. They have trusted God with their heart in the midst of a storm. And they've obeyed him with their hands. And they've gone through that. And then the next thing that pops up, that doesn't crush them. They don't fall. No, their house is built on a solid foundation. 
Faith-filled obedience breeds faith-filled obedience. It's adding to the foundation every time you go through this. Listen, some of you this morning are in the midst of a storm. You're coming out of a storm. And the first question you need to ask is this. Do I see storms that way? Do I see the trials in my life like that? As opportunities for faith-filled obedience, not just obstacles, but opportunities to see there's purpose in my pain, to trust God, to say, God, this really sucks, right? This really stinks. I don't want this cancer. I don't want this miscarriage. I don't want this sin in my life. This really stinks. God, why? But then to not stay there and to ask God, God, what are you trying to teach me through this? How can I respond to your words? How can I obey you and do what you say in your word, even in the midst of this storm? God, God, help me to do that. Holy Spirit, empower me to do that. Friends, come alongside me. Equip me to do that. And you go through that, and you're able to endure. And your faith is strengthened. Your foundation is strengthened. That's how it works practically. If you've seen people live this way, you know this. You see, everybody goes through a storm. It's just a matter of, will you endure with faith-filled obedience? Or will you fall? And Jesus lays out for us this person who, who falls. The foolish foundation falls. That's our second point. Look at verse 26. It says this, and everyone who hears these words of mine, this is the contrast, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Verse 27, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And notice, great was the fall of it. You see, it doesn't just fall. It doesn't just slowly lean over and calmly lay on the ground. Great was the fall of it. It collapses. It comes crashing down. Listen, we've seen enough hurricanes and floods to last for a lifetime, right? Recently, we can visualize this. Things crater, right? Especially when there's not a solid foundation. And that's what Jesus is describing. This is a collapse. And you see, here's my fear for us. My fear for us is that most of us, as we read this, and maybe you've read it before, is you picture yourself as the wise man. You immediately say, well, I'm probably the wise man in this story. I mean, I come to church. I don't sleep around. I listen to positive, encouraging Caleb. Like, I'm the wise man. And we bank our foundation. You've already banked your foundation on the places that you go where you hear the words of Jesus with your ears. On even the podcast you listen to on your phone, the blogs that you read, and you, you bank your foundation on listening to those things. I listen to a lot of things. I put myself in environments safe and fun for the whole family where I listen to Jesus, and I listen to good things, and I stay away from the bad things. And, I, and if I had a quiz about Jesus in the Bible, I could get it right. I would know some of the answers. I'm the wise man. And Jesus is going to say, unless you do what I say, you're not the wise man. If you don't do what I say, if you don't live by this, 
if this doesn't change your life, if all those spheres where you listen to Jesus, if that doesn't change your life, then you're the foolish man. Then you won't endure. You will collapse. It's that big of a deal. And so listen, church attendance is important. I'm not saying don't come to church. I'm just saying there's way more than that. Listen to podcasts. That's so important to fill your mind, to saturate it with truths of God. Read blogs. Read Christian books. Do all of that. But don't let it become something you just intellectually debate about. Don't let it become a language you can just speak about. Let it become a transformation you experience in your life so that it affects every part of your life that we just talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, that it affects your anxiety, that hopefully by the end of this series, some of you are feeling a weight lifted off of your shoulders with your anxiety because you've listened to Jesus' words. You've, you've done what Jesus has said, right? That you've, you've done that with money, that you've done that with lust, that you've done that in your marriage, all these things Jesus just got through talking about, Matthew 5 through 7, 107 verses, that, that you've listened to these things and that you actually do them. And we wouldn't be so quick to assume just because we put ourselves around listening to Jesus' words that we're the wise man, that we would evaluate our heart, our lives. Is it changed? Throughout this series, listen, I know it's a convicting question. It is for me. Throughout this series, what has changed about your life? Is it different? Are there things that are different? We need to at least evaluate. That's what Jesus, in his grace, listen, in his grace, is trying to get you to do, is evaluate. Am I the wise man? Am I the foolish man? Do I just listen, or do I do what Jesus said? It would be like, if we're the foolish man, it would be like we just bought the exercise equipment. We just bought the gym membership. And we got the cool uh, keychain on the key tag on our keychain. And we're like, you fit, I'm good. You see, see my keychain? I got the tag. I can go anytime I want. It would be like if you bought the treadmill. Some of you, Black Friday, you're gonna see that deal for a treadmill and be like, it's time. Like, it's time, I need to get in shape, and you're going to go get the treadmill and drag it home, and you're going to sit in your living room, and it's just going to sit in your living room, right? And it would be like if you did that, and you really believed, I got the tag for the gym membership, I got the treadmill, I'm good. I'm good, right? I'm going to get fit. Now, listen, some of us do that, amen? But what if we really believe that? What if your spouse believed that? Your friend believed that? You would say, you're crazy. How could you be so deceived? You actually have to get on the treadmill and run, right? You have to pick up the weight. You have to go in the gym. We would say, you're crazy. You're so deceived to get in shape for it to actually work. You got to do something with this. Listen, Scripture's going to say the same thing. You'd have to be crazy. To think you can come in a church building every Sunday and listen to some good truths and not do anything with it and expect anything to change about your life. 
James 1 says it, verse 22. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't deceive yourselves and just listen. Do what it says. Listen, while we can see that with gym memberships and fitness equipment and diet plans physically, we often miss this spiritually. And so Jesus is trying to bring us back to, you do what I say, and that's what enables you to endure. Don't be the foolish one. Don't think that you're the wise one just because you interact with some words of Jesus and you hear them. Actually do them and evaluate that. Some of us just need to evaluate that and ask that question, like, how's that going in my life, in my relationships, with my circumstances? And and I know for some of us, immediately as we hear this, we're going to push back on this and say, Tim, well, isn't this religion? There's a lot of people talk about James that way. He was the brother of Jesus, and he's really just repeating what Jesus said. But a lot of us, we push back on this because we're like, "Ah, Jesus, isn't this religion? I mean, I don't really, Sermon on the Mount, it gets real. Jesus is not subtle. This is hard, right? Some of us look at that and we're like, what about the grace of Jesus? What about don't do, just be? Have you ever heard that? And we'll push back and listen, don't mistake this for religion. You see, here's what I love about the Sermon on the Mount. It's way more than just the right way to live. It's way more than just the religious way to live. Think about this context and what we've been talking about. Over and over, Jesus is attacking the religious people. He's going at the religious, the people who just say, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I know to be true, and so I'm going to do it. That's religion, and Jesus, at every passage, every line, every paragraph, he goes at them, and he tries to get to their heart. It's not about religion. This is about a relationship in which we love God. We hear his voice. We know he cares for us. We know he knows what's best for us, better than we do, and so we do what he says. And so we can't come up with the argument, well, Tim, this seems a lot like religion. I don't like this. What about grace? No, we can't say that. Jesus is all about grace. It's grace-filled, faith-filled obedience. It's the only logical way this works as we think about any part of life. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. And, And I love that it's not just the better way or the right way to live. It is the better way to live. Think back to Matthew chapter 5, where this all started. Blessed, blessed, blessed. We talked about the blessed life. Jesus kicks this sermon off with nothing to do but things that are already true about you. Do you remember that? How does Jesus start the Sermon on the Mount? Does he say, go do this, don't do that? Is it religious? Is it just the right way to live? No, it's the blessed way to live. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, the peacemakers, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He says the people who live this way are blessed. He even shows us what that looks like. In Matthew chapter 5, he says these people are comforted by God. They receive the kingdom of heaven. They see God. You can't get more blessed than that. These people get a great reward. So it's not about religion. It's not about the right way to live. It's the blessed way to live. It's the better way to live. It's not the way to the kingdom. This is the way of the kingdom. Listen, if you are not a Christian and you just look at Matthew 6 and 7, you just think, I'm going I'm to handle my money differently. 
Uh, I'm going to make a spreadsheet. It's all going to work. I don't know how to do that yet, but it's going to happen, right? I'm going to take a class if I need to. I'm going to handle my anxiety differently. I know, like, I'm supposed to do some things differently. He's saying that a lot. I think it's a big deal. So I'm going to do some things differently. No, it starts with chapter 5. Blessed are. Blessed are you. You see God. This is the way of the kingdom. It's not the way to the kingdom. The way to the kingdom is by grace, through faith, and Jesus' work alone. And out of that... This is the better way to live. And so first, listen to me. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you need to trust Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his teaching, but also his substitutionary atonement on your behalf for all of your sin, his work. Before you ever get to your work, you start with his work. And then out of the overflow of that, you can do what he says. It's not just the right way. It's the blessed way to live. Look at verse 28. He says this as he sums it up. He says, uh, it says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And so maybe some of you are asking, like, Tim, how can we be sure this is the blessed life? Like, how can we be sure this isn't just some things to do? How can we know for sure? What makes this different than other religions? Well, here's the difference. We see it in this verse. He was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. You need to know that in that day, scribes were very smart. They were very respected theologians. They they knew a lot of things, but what they had was sources. They had some people they could quote. Through tradition and through the Old Testament, they had some things that they could quote, some power they could lean on. You remember your bibliographies in college? Some of you in college, you know bibliographies? MLA, APA, does that give you any nightmares, any cold sweats? I didn't like bibliographies when I was in college. I was more of a columnist. I just like to free think and, and write what I thought, and my opinions mattered, right? What would happen when I would turn that paper in? It'd get a lot of red X's. It wouldn't work. Why? I need some other sources because I'm not the source. The scribes, as well-respected as they were, as brilliant as they were, they had to go to other sources. Jesus is saying, I am the source. I am the quote. Do you see the difference? This is unlike anything anyone has ever heard. The scribes were, we make fun of them a lot. The Pharisees, we make fun of them a lot. They knew their Bible. They were well-educated. They were well-respected. And Jesus comes along and says, I'm the authority. That's why throughout the Sermon on the Mount, over and over, he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus Christ is the primary source. He is the quote. It starts with him. He is the one true, wise, and only foundation. He's the king describing the kingdom. He's the Christ describing Christianity. So he can make these claims, and we can trust him and actually do what he says and know it won't just be the right life. It'll be the better life because he's the source. Now, imagine if we lived that way. Imagine if we listened that way. If we said, okay, Jesus, Colossians 1 says, for by him all things were created. For through him all things 
were created and hold together, are sustained together. Hebrews 1 says that all things by the power of his word in the universe are sustained by the words of Jesus. If we looked at Jesus like that, and then we heard his words in the Sermon on the Mount, how would that change the way we listened? Do you think we would be a little bit more proactive in our listening? Do you think we would engage a little bit more? Do you think even in the midst of this moment, we would take a few notes? Why would we do that? Because we know if we're actually going to have to live this out, it's hard. It's way harder than Ikea images. This is real life stuff. Storms come and you have to live this out. You got to know it. You got to memorize it, meditate on it, and then practice it. It would change the way we listen, not just in this sermon, but in every sermon, in every passage, in every podcast, in every blog. We'd perk up a little bit because we'd know we actually have to do this. You see, this morning and every sermon you hear, and Jesus' sermon especially, it doesn't end on Sunday. It doesn't end on Sunday. It ends on Monday night with your kids. It ends on Wednesday morning with your boss who you don't like, who doesn't appreciate you. It ends on Saturday morning with your neighbors who some of them are nice and bake you treats, but also some of them leave trash in your yard. That's when the sermon ends. The most important part of every sermon preached, doctrine, absolutely. Jesus, the atoning person and work of Jesus, we have to get that right through every sermon. Hopefully, we try to do that here at Phoenix Bible Church every Sunday. It's so important. But you know what's even more important after that is how you live this out. Because if I give you, listen, you need to hear this. If I give you some illustrations that cause you to rethink things. If I give you a great story about my kids and you laugh, if I even have some great ways to say things that alliterate, I love alliteration. I'm sorry if you get tired of that. I can't help it. But if, if all those things happen, but nothing changes about your life, your relationships, your money, your anxiety, your marriage, your relationships, your sin. If nothing changes on Wednesday, I've failed. This is silly. We should go watch football. Listen, we can make it out and watch the start of the 11 o'clock game. Who, who needs to miss it? If it's just like, man, that was a really good sermon, or if, if it was just like, wow, that really hit me to the core, and we don't do anything, then what's the point? If we really believed Jesus is talking, we would listen differently because we would do differently. And if we were to do that, Jesus says we would endure. So the question today as we wrap this up is what foundation are you building on? What foundation are you building on? That's a tough question. This is a tough sermon. What are we doing with the words of Jesus? But you need to evaluate today, not the last day. That today, his mercies are new. You get to hear this sermon, hear his words, and change the way you live. And do things differently. And go about your way differently. And join a community group. And get some other people alongside you to support you in that. Get your spouse, your friends, and say, listen, with that money thing, with that, with that anxiety thing, with that, um, with that conflict thing, we need to, we need to rethink this. We've got to do some things differently. You would leave here 
and do that because today is the day to do that. The last day, it's too late. And that's part of what Jesus is talking about, that, that one day a lot of people's foundations will fall. And it won't be pretty. It won't be laying down. It'll be a crushing weight for eternity. And Jesus in his grace and his goodness is saying, no, 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 listen today and do what I say today. And some of us, I think we look at that and we listen even to those words and we have our arms folded. And maybe not physically like this, but spiritually, and maybe you know this, if this is you, a long time ago, you folded your arms to God. And you come to church and you do the thing, but you, you already have in your mind, I'm not going to do this. I mean, I got a lot to do today. This is too hard. He doesn't realize my situation, my circumstance. I'm not going to do this. And a, and a lot of us are in that place, at least some of us. I think this morning, there's a couple of people who are in that place. And listen, would you in this moment just evaluate, how's that working out for me? Is it working out? Is it making things in your life better? Are you enduring? Are you slowly falling? Listen, Jesus in his grace is, is calling out to you. No, no, no. You got to listen. You got to do what I say. I want what's best for you. Listen, some of you haven't met Jesus. Some of you have been doing the thing, going through the motions, speaking the language, and you come here and you fold your arms spiritually like, this is going to be all right, and I'm just going to go eat lunch, and there's some friendly people here, but that's it. And listen, some of you, you haven't met Jesus if that's the case. Because if you met Jesus, the one who holds everything together, the Alpha Omega, beginning and end, the one who died for you and rose again in victory, if you have met, believed, and followed, and committed to follow that Jesus... There couldn't be such a long time that lapsed where you just fold your arms. Not if Jesus is who he says he is. Not if he is the one with authority. Not if he is the source and the quote. So listen to this moment. I pray you would meet Jesus if you haven't already. The real Jesus. The one that is speaking to you today. The one that we see going to die and resurrect for you in Scripture. My prayer for you is that you would meet Jesus and then be empowered to live out the words of Jesus. I think that encompasses some of us in this room. Listen, I think the most of us, though, the majority of us in this room, we listen, we plan on doing things, but what happens? Sin pops up. Selfishness pops up. Distractions pop up, and we just don't get around to it. Some of the things we struggle with for 10 years, we're still struggling with, but we intend to do it. We want to. We're not arms folded. Some of you are saying, Tim, I'm not that way. I'm open-handed. It's just, I don't know. This is hard. How do I do this? Is this really for me? Can I do what Jesus says? Is this possible? And I would fast forward for you to Matthew chapter 9, two chapters later after this. I already mentioned it. Jesus is eating dinner and eating meals with tax collectors and sinners. Some people come alongside him. Jesus, why are you doing that? Why do you associate with these tax collectors and sinners? And he says, I haven't come for the healthy, but for the sick. I haven't come just to call the righteous, but the sinner. To call them, to invite them, to obey me, to do what I say, to help others do what I say. That's Matthew 9. Two chapters later, Jesus says, you're the person I'm looking for. The person who says this is hard today, this is for you. 
He wants to empower you. That's why he gave you his spirit. That's why he came to earth is for you. The sinner who's still struggling, who's still trying to get by, he came for you to empower you to have a solid foundation, to live this way. Jesus, over and over in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about God as Father. It's the most common phrase he uses. We've already mentioned that a few times. Father, the Lord's Prayer, Father in heaven. We've said this. He could have said a lot of other things. He could have said, Sovereign Ruler of all the universe, great and powerful judge. But he says, Father. Why? Because Jesus is teaching us the Father's heart for his kids. This isn't just religion. This is a relationship of a father with his kids who wants what's best for you. Even in the midst of your storms, he wants you to endure, not fall. He wants that for you. Yes, you. Uh, Thursday this week, my wife was supposed to go to my son, my five-year-old son's school. We have to volunteer once a month. It's like a co-op of sorts. And we have to do that once a month. It comes around really quick, if you know what I'm saying. but we have to do that. My wife had talked, my wife and I had talked previously about that day, Thursday, and we had miscommunicated. And I had some important meetings starting at 6 a.m. on Thursday, ending at noon. And we had miscommunicated, and we wake up that morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, and we're talking about this. And she's like, I thought I have to go do this thing at Ashland School. And like, I thought you were going to cancel that, and you said that. And I'm like, I didn't, I didn't say that. And we had to work through that, right, in our marriage. And figure that out. And, and I remember leaving the house, and it was unsettled. I didn't know if my son was going to have his mom at school. And so you're thinking, Tim, what's the big deal? It's school. You send them away for a reason, right? Well, no. That day is different than every other day. That day is different because he gets to be the helping hand. Right, Ashwin? You know. Yes, he's smiling. You just can't see it. He's smiling right now. He gets to be the helping hand. He looks forward to it every month. He gets to be the line leader. He gets to do show and share. That day is different. And his mom is there with him at school all day, and it can't get better than that, right? Now, I left the house that day, 6 a.m., going to all these meetings, and there was a deep desire in my heart for this to work out some way. For Jaya, my wife, to get a babysitter, for something to happen, because I knew that Ashwin would be disappointed that day. If you didn't get to be the line leader, if you didn't get to do the show and share, like, I knew that wouldn't go well with my little buddy. And so I wanted that for him, right? Things welled up within me, a desire welled up. Why? Because I'm his father, and he's my son. And as he goes to school, and something just as little as being the line leader or being the helping hand, I want that for him. I want good for him. Listen, I'm a father who's flawed. Jesus talks about a father who's perfect. He uses this language of father throughout the Sermon on the Mount because he wants you to see he has a heart like that that's not corrupted by sin or schedules or being too busy or having meetings. God, the father, feels this way about you, his kid. And so Jesus is is painting this picture of the kingdom, the way of the kingdom, a right way to live, a solid foundation that will endure storms. And he's saying, just do what I say. 
I want this for you as a father wants this for his child. Do you see yourself like that? Do you see your situations in life like that? Or do you see this taskmaster who's just giving you some ambiguous things to do to make your life crazy? If you don't hear anything else, as we end this sermon, you need to see God as father who wants the best things for his kids. That's why it's the blessed life before anything else. And so will you evaluate this morning? Am I the wise man? Do I just think I'm the wise man? Or am I actually the wise man? Where is my foundation? Is it on Jesus Christ? 1 Corinthians 11 or 1 Corinthians 3.11 says the only foundation that's already been laid is Jesus. You can't even try to lay a different one. And so are you laying on that foundation? Are you responding to the words of Jesus with faith-filled obedience? How can you start to do that today? How can you go to some other people today and say, hey, would you, would you come alongside me in this? I, I don't want to have my arms folded. I've tried that. It doesn't work. Would you lock arms with me instead and walk through this with me? I want to be the faith-filled, obedient servant of Jesus Christ. Would you do that? Would you take a step in that this morning? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that we would do that. I pray that we would, in this moment, we would, we would see you as Father. If nothing else this morning, we would see you as Father. You would correct a distortion that we may have of you. And in that, in your grace, you would let us listen to what you have said, and we would respond. That we would see you rightly, we would trust you accordingly, and we would submit to you fully this morning. God, we would set our eyes on you and out of that respond. The only logical, wise, right, blessed way we could respond by building our house on the rock. And that any way that doesn't line up with that, we would confess in this moment, we would repent, we would turn from those things, and we would turn to you. I don't know where all these men and women are, but I know all of us can follow you more can see more faith-filled obedience in our lives. So I pray that we would look in our hearts, in our hands, and see what, what areas of our lives do we need to do that. And Father, that you would help us by the power of your spirit, by your son Jesus, by you as our Father, that you would help us to live like this so that we endure any storm. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.